Was it good? Was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater, too. Feel your love of Broadway anew on Backstage Babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today I am so happy to announce the continuation of Backstage Babble's series celebrating the shows of 2023 with my interview with one of Broadway and opera's best singers, Paulo Schott. Paulo Schott is currently starring as Lance Dubois in Broadway's smash hit Ang Juliet, which I have seen twice and truly believe to be one of the funniest, most energetic, and most joyous shows on Broadway in recent years. And you may also know him from his previous appearances on Broadway in South Pacific opposite Kelly O'Hara and in Chicago opposite both Erica Jane and Anna Villafagne. He is also a veteran performer of opera stages, including the Metropolitan Opera, where he sang in productions of Deflator Mouse and Madama Butterfly. And now, without further ado, here's Paulo Schott. Well, so I'd love to begin by asking you, how did you first become interested in performing growing up in Brazil? And... Well, I, I grew, I, I think I was um, very lucky because I grew up in, in, uh, with a family that um the most important thing for them was was the music school and the dancing school much more than the normal school so uh my mom used to say oh everything of course you have to to have great grades but how is how is the piano going how is the violin going and um i think that made a huge impact on when the time came in my life that I had to decide what I wanted to do. And it was very natural for me to just keep doing what I was doing up to that time. You know, um, I received a scholarship to study dance in Poland when I was 17. And, um, and I took that opportunity and I started to, to take classes. And, and after that, I started to sing. I started with music and um, I got my first job as a professional singer when I was uh, about, I don't know, 20, 20 years old. So very early. And uh, I never stopped singing since then. Yeah. So it was very natural for me because of my family, I guess. Oh, yeah. And did you find that this great voice that you have sort of came naturally or did it come with a lot of training or? I think I had a material, definitely. You know, I remember, um, the time uh, when someone told me that you know I was auditioned to the chorus of my the university in Krakow and uh, and at that time I had a concussion to my knee you know so I couldn't dance so I I thought I I would do something else so I heard that uh, they were auditioning for the chorus of the university I went there and uh, I started to do some scales with the director and he said you know you have a great vocal material and uh, you should work on that. And I said, I didn't know, but I'll take that. So, and, and since that time, I started to take lessons and uh, try to discover uh, this, what that vocal material meant. 
And, um, you know, it's a journey for, for a singer because the voice changes with, with age and, uh, the voice that I have now, it's not the same voice that I had when I was 19, when I started to sing, but, um, I really wanted to be a tenor at that time. So I did everything I could to sing those high notes, but, uh, you know, nature is stronger and uh, it will put in you in your place. And um, and I had to accept that I could never be a tenor, uh, which was a good thing, you know, at the end. But um, yeah, I think uh, many people, I, I don't believe that, um, although I had a material, a vocal material, I never had an easy voice in terms that, um, I studied music my whole life, but in terms of vocality, in terms of emission of your your, your voice, you really uh, depend on on your teachers. And um, and I think now that it was a positive thing that naturally I had to work on every note to become a note that I would uh, thought it's beautiful, it's in the right place, and it's comfortable. So. Um, I see many, many, and I saw at that time, many uh, talented and uh, natural uh, talented people in terms of singing. But, um, you know, in, in the life of a singer, it comes a time where you cannot rely on the nature anymore. You have to rely on the technique. So I had to learn the technique very early on. And I think uh, after years, and when that nature starts to 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 say goodbye to you, and I know it's it's hard to understand, but uh, um, I had the tools to keep going, you know. And um, and I um, you know sometimes you have to work harder in the beginning of a profession, and then you relax a little bit and just continue with it. And uh, for some people, it's the opposite. They are they are so naturally gifted. They don't have to do anything, just open them, their mouth. That, that was not my case. And uh, But later on, eventually, some of them find uh, some technical difficulties. And then they have to catch up with with, with the technique. So it's, it's, it's very complicated. And I, I know it's complicated to explain because the voice is something that it's inside. You don't see. It's just a sensation for many of us. So uh, of course the, the the final results, uh, the beauty of the singing, it's what we see, what we hear, of course, and uh, but to get there sometimes it's very very tough. Oh yes, and how do you go about preserving your voice when you're performing Don Giovanni or doing a show eight times a week or things like that? Well, I think. Um, I always thought I had a great teacher that 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 taught me that, and he said you have to think as a as a sportsman. You have to practice every day. If you do that every day, even though there are going to be days that you feel a little sick, a little under the water, but if you practice every day, you know that your body will do what it's supposed to do. And I always took this very serious so i i I, try, I practice every day i vocalize for 30 minutes every day i know my neighbors hate it but <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it is a way that i found that i would keep my instrument because you know i do so many different things in my life and i love that about 
my my choices that I am able to to have a career in opera and a musical theater and then cabaret and then sing bossa nova, and I love that flexibility. That um, actually the the world gave it to me because there's no use if I can sing that to myself. But uh, some people need to trust you and to give those opportunities to sing in a cabaret venue, in an opera house, on Broadway. So um, I was always uh, thinking to be ready when these opportunities came into my life and to do what I always dreamed of, of doing. So, um, and because of that different range of things that I have to, to produce with my throat, um, I knew that I had to have a solid classical training and technique. Right. Because this is the most reliable, you know, you, we see opera singers singing for, for 30, 40 years sometimes and, uh, and being on the top of their voices. So there's no doubt that a solid um, operatic uh, school would be dancer for me to be able to do all all these kind of styles that I I try to do. Yeah. And to go back to the beginning, did you have musical theater and musical theater singing in mind, or was it only opera? Well, in the beginning, beginning, I think so because you know um, I'm talking about the '80s when I was a teenager and I was already learning piano and and violin and dancing. And then I'm talking about the age of VHS, you know, and uh, videotapes. And uh, and I remember that in our uh, rental store at my little town, a Carl's Line became available, the movie. Uh-huh. And uh, we didn't have much, you know, in Brazil, growing up in Brazil, I grew up in Brazil. We didn't have much. We only had some um, long plays on records, but on the video uh, material is very rare to have something. And uh, when I saw that tape of A Chorus Line, you know, I rented for a month and uh, and I started to to learn. I think I learned English by watching that movie so many times. Uh. And of course, every little uh, step, every word of that movie, you know, fascinated me. And I knew it by core and knew every choreography, every song. And uh, that was the first moment that I, I fell in love with Broadway. With uh, and somehow that story itself, you know, to 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 come to Broadway and to audition and to really need to do that, to feel that urge to be in, in a stage on Broadway. I thought it was planted back there in my life, and uh, and then other things happened in my life, you know. But I, I had the opportunity to go to Europe, not to the States, so I started to to take uh, uh, classical lessons. I started to sing operatic things. Actually, my first job was not in an opera. It was in a, in a, in a Polish uh, national song ensemble. And um, it was a kind of, a, it was not a musical. It was an, not an opera. It was very specific, but we dance and we sang at the same time. So it was something in between. <laughs> and it was something that I was able to do to it was a style that I knew from my childhood because my parents were Polish and uh, we grew up listening to those records of that company called Shlonsk. And I knew all these songs. I knew all these songs. And uh, when I heard 
that the the director of that that ensemble was doing auditions for uh, young singers at the city where I was studying at the time in Krakow. I didn't think twice. So I went there and I auditioned to him and uh, he said to me, um, are you ready to take the train tomorrow morning to go to start your new work? I said, yes. <laughs> so I left everything behind me in Krakow and I went to this incredible place called Koszeńczyk in the middle of Poland where the uh, the place that the, the, this the company was installed was a, a beautiful castle and uh, and uh, we all worked in this castle and the the apartments were around the castle in the park so i i was so blessed <laughs> to be living in a beautiful the most beautiful place and to work doing what i always dreamed of doing for five years in my life and then after five years I um I had the opportunity to to meet um, Luciana Pavarotti, who oh. was making concerts in Brazil and listening to uh, Brazilian uh, singers. And I at that you see how time sometimes plays a big role in your life. I was there in Brazil on my vacation from that company in Poland to visit my parents, and my mom read in the newspaper that Pavarotti was coming to Sao Paulo, which is the, the closest city to my parents' house. And he was going to, to perform there. And then he was going to go to Rio de Janeiro to, uh, to be auditioning, singing, singers for his international voice competition. Again, I took everything I had. I, I, I got in contact with this promoter and uh, I signed in and uh, sent a tape and they approved me to for an audition with Pervarati. So I went to Rio de Janeiro for my first time and uh, I sang to him and, uh, and he selected me to be a finalist in Philadelphia. That was 1994. So I came to Philadelphia in 1995 and that's when I left Poland for good at that time after five years working that, at the first uh, singing company in my life. Right. And what did you find Pavarotti to be like as a person? And did he give you advice? He, you know, all these big idols, when you meet them, you're just so overwhelmed, you know, just know, don't know what to say, what to think. It's just to feel that energy of someone that you admired so much, you know, from watching on TV and listening to the, to the recordings and, and then this person is in front of you listening to you. So it's, it's such a, a surreal experience at the same time. And, uh, but at the same time, I always thought I, I'm not thinking about this right now because otherwise <laughs> I'll be just freaking out in front of this man. So I tried to control and to do the best. And, you know, I was very young at the time, uh, a young sing opera singer. And the, the whole opportunity of, of coming to Philadelphia and to be among international singers for the first time was what I most remember, you know, and um, just to listen how other people were singing, uh, what they did, uh, because that's a big part of, of a singer's education is to listen how other people do it. Right. You know, usually we listen to, to big stars and records and just to listen how, not to copy, but to understand how, how they do it since uh, singing is such um, 
uh, I think that it's so hard to explain. Sometimes you really have to to listen and to try to understand with your body how to do something similar. So, um, uh, and Parvati, you know, he was a fantastic man because of that that uh, contest that he opened years before that to to give the opportunity for young singers to get together and uh, and to get to know each other. So. Um, uh up to this day he's my idol you know oh. he passed away a few years ago but uh, and uh and for me he has the most beautiful voice ever oh yes that's wonderful and do you find that there's a difference between performing in poland and performing in the u.s is are the arts sort of thought of differently in the two places or well when i went to Poland and I found myself in this this place where I was going to, to study dance it was the it was a paradise for me you know at that time it was a tough time because I'm talking about 89 and they were still in under the communist regime over there it was it was ending but um, it was a difficult life for for most of of Polish people and uh, they didn't have many of the basics that we are all used to like chocolates like like meat so, um, but culturally, it was a paradise. So um, I was, I was, and I only focused on that. I know my colleagues, they were complaining many, uh, about many things in the country and uh, they're not used to this, but I, I really, you know, all of those difficulties became very small because I was foc focusing on doing things that I loved, you know, and I found myself in places that I could do what I want, always wanted to do. So uh, for me, it was, was, was paradise. Um, and of course, when I came to America, the first time with the Pervariety competitions and years later to audition for my first uh, job in 2001. And uh, it was, you know, one of the things that you always dream about. And I remember that time as a teenager remembering a chorus line again and coming to to new york you know and auditioning and being in this wonderful city um again it felt surreal you know surreal mm -hmm. and um, when i got the answer from my first auditions that i passed i was just celebrating i think for uh, the whole year before i came here to do the mm -hmm. job it was at the new york city opera at lincoln center to do Escamillo in, in Carmen. Ah. That was my debut in America. And what was it like to, to make your Met Opera debut, which I believe was later in the 2000s? And... Yes. Um, he, the, the, well, I was hired by the Metropolitan Opera uh, in 2004 and 2005 as a cover to sing uh, Marriage of Figaro and Don Giovanni. And uh, after that, South Pacific came into my life in 2007 and we opened 2008. After that great opportunity, the Matt called me uh, to do the main role in Shostakovich opera called The Nose, and which was to open in 2010. And, uh, and I was still on with South Pacific. I know you want to talk about more of that but we, i'll come back to that later but i was doing south pacific at the time and i had to leave i had to learn the whole shostakovich opera in in a year before 
because the music was so complicated and so difficult. And I was doing eight shows a week, you know, and um, there's only that much that you can do. There's not, not much time. And besides, your voice is tired of the shows and then I had to rehearse. Um, but, you know, again, another dream, you know, it, it is a dream for every opera singer to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. And when they offer something for you to sing there, just say yes, and you do your best. And that's what I did. You know, I tried to do my best. And then I took some time off from South Pacific. Uh, Andrew Bishop, the director of, of Lincoln Center Theater, permitted me to, to take some time. And I had my opera, uh, my Metropolitan Opera debut in 2010. And what do you like about performing in spaces that are as large as that? And is it ever intimidating or? Absolutely, yes. I remember the first audition that I did there. And uh, of course the stage was empty and the audience was empty. Only a little uh, uh, row of people who were listening to the auditions. And, uh, and I sang Escamillo. And Escamillo has a big high note that he's left alone with no orchestra. And after that, I gave that high note. I hear this huge sound coming back from the house. <laughs> And I have never felt that before because the Metropolitan has almost 4,000 seats. So it's it's a stadium, it's a, it's a covered stadium, it's a huge place. And the acoustic is, is great. So um, I was fascinated with that sound that came back, my sound that was coming back to me. And um, it, it is just, you know, you one of the things that you cannot think too much about it because you don't see these people there. You know that the house is huge. And I think the main concern for every opera singer that sings in, at the Met is to be heard because, you know, we use no mics. We have to rely on our um, emission of the voice on a good ringing tone to, to travel through throughout the house. So um, it is it is fascinating to be in a place where so many wonderful stars sang and left these beautiful sounds in the house. Everything is still there, you know, it's around. I believe in that. So uh, it's very emotional, you know, very emotional to be on the same stage as Pavarotti did so many times. And uh, Lantin Price and so many great, great, great singers. Um, and uh, one day you find yourself there, you just uh, pinch yourself, is this really happening to me? So um, I felt very, very honored very honored to be there. I was the first uh, male uh, Brazilian voice to sing at the Met. So it meant a lot to me and, and uh, to the country where, where Brazil, where I was born. Oh, yes, that is amazing. And do you find that there's a difference when doing new operas like A Dog's Heart or something like that, as opposed to the more classic ones like Don Giovanni or Carmen? Yeah, it's much more work. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, you know, contemporary operas are so intriguing, so difficult. Um, not that the, the, the traditional ones are not, the difficulties are different. Because when you take, for example, uh, Belcanto opera, everything relies on the beauty of, of the singing and you have to be perfectly phrasing and everything has to be so perfect. It's not a, a musical itself difficulty. 
as opposed to in contemporary operas, the music is is it's difficult. Sometimes it is atonal. Sometimes it's it's rhythmically. So you have to count all these these different measures. So uh, the difficulties are different. But um, for sure, to learn Shostakovich or as you mentioned, the opera that I have my debut at Milano in in, in La Scala, Dog's Heart, it takes it takes months to learn and still you have to practice every day before you go on and to be reminded of the pauses to be reminding of the rhythms so um it's a constant work it's very difficult i wonder if these composers would sing what they wrote uh, <laughs> <laughs> and is there a great opera role or for that matter great musical theater role that you would like to do that you haven't done yet oh yeah yeah you know, I've been blessed. You know, when whenever people ask me that question, I I had so many great opportunities to sing in the the traditional repertoire, like like Onegin, like Giovanni, like the Count, like Figaro, and, and um, uh, as we was the as the voice goes into uh, more mature places of course the the Verdi roles or even Wagner roles are a dream of course for for an opera singer but even then I, I was able to sing some of these composers too I did Traviata two, two years ago and uh, I really enjoyed it uh, it's really too hard to point a single role you know because sometimes you dream of a role and then you start doing it and it's just not fit for your voice. So, um, but yeah, and, and in musical theater, there are so many great, great roles, you know, yeah. so many great, great roles. And how did South Pacific first come about? You were mentioning that. Oh, I, it was a very funny thing because I was, I was singing in, in, in Nice in France. And my agent called me saying, oh, there is there is an offer. They would like to for you to come to sing for them in this musical. <laughs> I don't know if you're interested. I said, what musical? Oh, South Pacific. And I said, yes, <laughs> I am interested. So I, I was scheduled to be in Boston rehearsing the Marriage of Figaro at that time where, where the auditions were going to happen. So I scheduled a train in the morning from Boston to New York, I came to New York and I entered the room and I see 200 more opera singers that I knew from other productions. <laughs> and um, and they were all, you know, um, vocalizing and singing, of course, some Enchanted Evening and this nearly was mine. And in the material that they sent for us for the auditions, they had two scenes to read through. And I, and I really thought when I first started started to to think about this audition, that they they not only wanted to hear a good singer, but they wanted to know if that singer would be able to act, to 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 play the role. So, um, with that in mind, I tried to work those scenes as 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 much as I could and uh, the best as I could. And I never thought, because this is a common thinking for, for opera singers, oh, it's the singing that is important. And then you just read it. I heard that in that audition, colleagues of mine leaving the, the, the room, auditioning room saying, oh, I sang this song and then I read a little bit and then they said, thank you. 
and I thought, hmm, maybe the reading wasn't that good. <laughs> but, um, and I was right, you know, because they really wanted to focus. They knew that these opera singers that were there were all good singers. That's that's one, you know, they only they only call people that they 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 knew, kind of knew. But um, it was the reading scenes. It was the scenes that I think, um, in a way, um, I don't know if I did it well. Well, I must have done it something yes, good. Yes, you did. <laughs> but but I what I know it's I treated the scenes as important as the singing, and I think that made their heads to, you know, come up and to look at me. Because um, I know how important that is in theater. You know, there's nothing that it's in the script that is not important. Everything is important. And uh, if the song exists, it's because the scenes that come before that have to elevate to that moment. The song only happens if the scenes become the song. And, uh, and for that reason, they are so important. And, um, and for opera singers, sometimes the speaking parts are not important. So um, it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake. And it's understandable because, you know, in operas, it's the singing that's really important. That's one of the things that's, that differs from, from musical theater and operas, I believe. Right, right. And what was it like once you got the role to try to sort of find your own interpretation and how much did you take from what Ezio Pinza had done and well I I I heard a lot of the recordings that he he's done and of course I try to to as as I was talking in the beginning we try to listen to everything we have available not to imitate but to understand you know but then you have to approach in your own uh, way of understanding, bringing your personal feelings, bring, bring your personal uh, history to, to the stage, not trying to imitate someone else's. And that's one of the greatest thing about theater that it is all about that. You have to bring who you are into the stage, into the role, but bringing your own visions, your own experiences into someone, someone's role. And, um, you know, I had great help with Bartlett Cher and Kelly O'Hara uh -huh. that they knew that I, I, that I wanted to try. I wanted to work hard, but I had not much experience in, in musical theater up to that time. So they were very patient with me and, um, and they really believed that I could, I could do something out of this role. So, uh, I think that was, there was so important, you know, to feel that support because if I hadn't haven't had that support i think i would just have quit in in two weeks because you know it's it's very scary once you are used to have the music leading you everywhere and in theater you don't you don't have that music leading you everywhere you have to own you have to do your own score and uh, and um and i i i believed that I was honest enough to embrace that adventure and to 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 give everything I had and to honor and to respect the people that chose me to do that role and to represent that musical after so many years on Broadway. I really wanted to do a good job. That was my only concern. Oh, yes. 
And what was the process like of finding the sort of chemistry with Kelly O'Hara and and Costa? It was very easy. You know, <laughs> that was the easiest part of all because um, that's the thing about chemistry. You know, either you have or you don't. And um, and I was very lucky to have Kelly. Kelly doing that with me and um, and being there. It just you know, it's chemistry. You feel comfortable. You feel open. You 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 feel that you can trust. You can be vulnerable with that person, and um, there's no competition, and uh, it's it's a collaboration. So um, that was wonderful. That's you know, I remember that part of my entire life as one of the best. Ah, that's wonderful. And then. It was, uh, it sort of lasted from then till after the pandemic before you were back on Broadway. And was that an intentional choice or was that just sort of how it happened? To wait? Well, when I came back to, to Chicago yeah. and after the pandemic, I was doing Chicago before the pandemic. So that was my return to Broadway after years doing operas after South Pacific. So um, I, I had some free time and uh, Chicago was able to accommodate my dates and uh, we were supposed to do i think three months of chicago and then i did i opened in january of 2019 and i had a contract in monte carlo that i had to leave chicago for for six weeks to do street scene in monte carlo and uh, by the end of that monte carlo's contract the the, the pandemic started to happen around the world so when i came back to new york everything was closed already so i could couldn't continue my first run with chicago after the pandemic uh, they called me for the opening of chicago and i did uh, a few more weeks with them um only to leave chicago to brazil to do chicago in brazil in portuguese where i had to relearn the whole script in portuguese and that, let me tell you, was one of the most complicated things in my life. Because whenever I open my mouth to say a, a line or to, to sing, of course, the, the original, the English version came into my mind. And I started to, to, to translate automatically in my head, which was totally wrong because you need a version of that Portuguese um, script, not what my head translates. So it was really a difficult exercise. One might not think that because it's my native language, Portuguese, but it was so, so difficult. It took me more than a, more than a month to get used to the, to the Portuguese version of it. And then I did it for six months. And then, and then uh, this great opportunity to do a new musical on Broadway came up with opening in Toronto. And um, of course, I'm talking about Anne Juliet. Yes, yes. And to um to go back to Chicago for just a moment, what was the experience like of being able to sort of reopen Broadway like that? I was actually there on that night in September, and it was really you exciting. were. Oh my yes. God! So you remember? I think when when the 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 band started to play, and then and then with the first lines, which is welcome. You know, the crowd went crazy for oh. minutes, you know, and uh, they were applauding even though the show have, hadn't started. I think they were applauding just the fact that people were able to be in a theater again, celebrating, you know, what what we all love, which is theater. So it was very emotional, you know. We, we started to cry backstage when people started to, to, 
to applaud and to to shout and to express themselves in ways that they couldn't for so many months during the pandemic. So um, for us, it was very, very emotional and very, we felt also honored and privileged to be able to to be back. You know, we rehearsed a lot before that. We had to put the show back to shape with the original director, uh, Walter Bobby. And um, it was a great time. You know, it was a great, great, one of those moments that you don't forget because, you know, we we all suffered so much during that time, the pandemics and the whole world. And the, and we we dreamed about the day that we were going to be able to come back to oh. theater. And uh, when that day came, it was just, just unbelievable and unforgettable. Oh, yes. And going into Chicago originally and back in that January, did you get a lot of rehearsal coming into such a long running show or what was that? <laughs> no, I had 10 days of rehearsals. Ah. Literally 10 days of rehearsals to go through all my scenes. And uh, and then I have uh, I put in rehearsal on the day of my opening with the girls, with the ladies for, for the dancing and the first number, All I Care About Is Love. And then Razzle Dazzle too. We had a, a, a very short rehearsal before my opening in January of 2019. Along with Erica Jane, which was just oh. opening with me too at that time, so uh, it was it was very just go <laughs> one of those moments, right? And what was it like to work with her, and then later on a Villafagne? Yes, right. I did my first Roxy was was Erica, and then Anna, and uh, it was very different, you know. Um, um, Erica brought a beautiful comprehension of the role you know by being I think by being this that that great celebrity that she is yes and uh and she had that in common with Roxy so uh it was a perfect match um it was so so great to be with her on stage and and to rehearse with her uh, during those standards days before the, our opening so um very very impressive very very impressive and um we had a great time. And then when I came back was with Anna, a great singer. Oh, my God. I always loved Anna before I, I saw her um, doing. Uh, it will come to me in a second, the name on the show, but um, on your feet. And um, and she was just fantastic on that show. And I fell in love with that voice when I saw that show. And then when I realized that she was going to be my Roxy, uh, I just freaked out because <laughs> Anna can sing this song like no one else can, and uh, and it was so glorious to be there and singing and with her and uh, and um, we had we had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Oh, we yeah. both reached for the gun was just <laughs> just fun <laughs> for us. <laughs> and so to um now to go back to Anne Juliet, when did you find out that it would be coming to Broadway, or did you always know that even in Toronto or? We did know. We did know that uh, the Toronto concert was going to be one thing. You know, they wanted the whole company that were able to go to Toronto to come to Broadway. That was one of the main things that they, and it was a very correct and nice thing uh, uh, about the producers and the directors for the whole team that that would try out the show in Toronto would come to Broadway. 
and uh, and that happened, except for for one 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 lady that had to leave for another show, but uh, you know it, it was her choice, and of course we were sad that she left, but uh, we totally understand. Um, but it was good to be able to to try that show uh, in a city like Toronto, and and then to come back with a with a ready to go show to a brother. So uh, it was, I think we ran for several weeks in Toronto. I don't remember exactly the time, but uh, it was the right amount of time to to get to know uh, the roles, get to know the show and to feel ready to come to Broadway. So uh, it was a, a great, great experience for all of us. And were there changes made to the show during that time? Of course, it was already running in London, but... Very little, you know, very little change. It's very little. Sometimes, um, in my case, instead of, of coming out from the stage right, you try stage left. And sometimes it's just a feel because every theater is different, you know, and uh, very little changes, of course. And uh, and these changes are are, are, are absolutely normal, in uh, especially because we have previews here, too. So during the previews, some things change, too. And always for the good of the show. So we really need to trust the directors and the team, the writers. And um, yeah, a very little, very little changed. Oh, yes. <laughs> and as a classically trained singer, what is the sort of unique challenge of singing these pop songs? You know, um, because the concept of me singing different things. I rely on my technique, my classical technique, and I always try to bring my voice to it. I never try to imitate uh, a pop singer or to sound like pop. I sound like me. So, of course, it's a question of adjusting to some style, of course, being more dramatic when I do opera. I put more vibrato on it. And um, I think it's for... A classical trained singer, if you approach um, musical theater or cabaret with, with an approach of an art song in classical terms, you would find a balance of singing more natural in a way of the, the producing a sound that would sound less dramatic than one would want in an operatic part, but still with the same kind of uh, support, same kind of uh, roundness of the voice. And I try to do that all the time. I try not to forget, you know, what my technique brings me and how I can rely on that technique to be able to sing eight shows a week without being tired or without being, of course, we all get tired, but the fact that we are able to sing and to, to sound fresh by the the last show uh it's very important and of course i do everything that uh, i think all the performers all the good performers should do which is resting your voice you know hydrating a lot getting a lot of sleep not drinking and um, i always believed in that and that that kind of uh, healthy practice of um of it's a devotion you know it you, you know you that's the thing about theater you to become for me to become an artist with so many difficulties with so many uncertainties in life that you don't know when you're gonna have a job or not you audition some people like some people hate and then you open a show some people talk 
good things about you. Some people talk bad things about you and you have to accept all these things. So it's not just an easy life. So um, there are many ups and downs. And to be able to do that and to be happy in that profession, you really have to love it to a degree that you cannot live without it, you know? And uh, I always talk to young young people about that. When, when they ask me, I want to become an artist, could you give me some advice? And I said that, you know, I think the most important advice is to know if you really cannot live without it. Because it, this is a life of sacrifices. This is a life you have to be away from your family. You have to work on your weekends. And you cannot be on your 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 uh, friends' birthdays or Christmas or New Year's. You have to work. Right. And But only makes sense if this is the thing that you most love in life, you know? Yeah. At that point, the other things are, are, of course, they're important. But you're happy that you are you are able to work although your work requires you some sacrifices that other people do not have right well i think that's a wonderful piece of advice to end on and thank you so much for doing this it's been an honor to meet you and an honor to meet you too and congratulations on your show Oh, thank you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Remember to go see Anne Juliet and make sure to come back next time to hear my interview with Pulitzer Prize winner David Auburn, who is the playwright of this season's Summer 1976, now on Broadway starring Laura Linney and Jessica Hecht. His other plays include Proof, The Columnist, Lost Lake, Skyscraper, and We Had a Very Good Time. He also served as script consultant on Tick, Tick, Boom off-Broadway, and his screenplay credits include Georgetown, The Lake House, and The Girl in the Park. You won't want to miss that episode, so make sure to tune back in, and thanks for listening.